The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Welcome to the Viking Age podcast, the official podcast of thevikingage.com. My name is Chris Shad. I write for the Viking Age as well as Bring Me the News, Zone Coverage, and the Brookings Register. We do this every Monday and Thursday right here on the Viking Age YouTube channel. And if you miss us, we're on Apple and Spotify the very next day. But however you consume us, rate, comment, like, and subscribe so you never miss a new episode. My usual co-host on Mondays, Adam, decided to take the day off, so I need to get to work. But don't worry, everybody. I have a replacement for you. Today's guest is a man that enjoys the simple things in life, such as a Sunday afternoon worth of football, three days of grinding tape afterward, and a five-star death match in the Tokyo Dome. He is the managing editor of the Vikings Wire and the host of the Real Forno Show, which you can catch every Monday night. His name is Tyler Fornis. What's up, Tyler? I am doing good. I got a dog on my lap. I got a dog on the floor. And don't forget, you can also catch Real Forno Show on Wednesday nights as well. We we are now two nights a week. I know it's pretty cool. Um, things are good, man. Things are really good. Um, we got training camp starting up here this week, and I'm really excited. Yeah, I have reached the points. I, I was ready for training camp back in May because I don't really like the whole mini camp news cycle. It's like one of those things that as, as I get older, I just kind of roll my eyes on it. Like, oh, yeah, Dalvin Cook's going to catch the ball more next year or Anthony Barr is going to finally rush the passer or this rookie is blowing up in shorts. The Five foot nine, hundred and forty pound receiver that definitely isn't going to get hurt. Um, the last couple of days, it's really intensified for me though. Uh, shortly after Adam and I got off the air on Thursday, it was revealed that uh, Jordan Addison was cited for going one forty and a fifty five. You know, sometimes you're just driving along and you zone out, and seems like your foot's on the gas for a really long time, and. <laughs> I didn't really know I was going 90 over the speed limit. Uh, We got some people think Justin Fields and Jared Goff are the best quarterbacks in the NFC North and running backs across the league got together on a Zoom call so they could uh, bitch about how they're not getting paid anymore. I I need football, Tyler. I need actual football. I'm sick of this gossip. I need to see pads. I need to see people hitting each other. I need to see, you know, people talking trash. I I, I cannot handle any more Kevin O'Connell getting up to the podium going like, all right, guys, great day here on Monday. You know, I uh, just want to thank uh, Dolores, the lunch lady. She's doing some great stuff over there. How about our equipment manager over there? You know, we, we'd be completely naked on the field without him. And, you know, all these guys here. Help me out. I, I need something, Tyler. You need to watch the G1 Climax, man. That, that, that'll help you because you, you would you. think you would think the blood and guts match with like the bed of nails and the thumbtacks and people stabbing each other with forks and all that stuff would have just gotten some of this aggression out. But I, I, I need more. I need my football fix. It's just, I, I need it, man. I need it. 
Yeah, I, trust me, I get it. Um, I'm so sick of writing player preview articles. I want to write about real stuff that's actually going on. I need it bad. I need it just like you do. But luckily, um, it's actually here. And this is fan-freaking-tastic. So let's talk about some of the stuff that went on this week leading into camp. And I think, you know, I don't want to talk about the Jordan Addison thing, really. But I think it's kind of important because I'm already getting some red flags out of that. Um, but let's call it what it is. 140 miles an hour in a 55-mile-an-hour zone on the interstate whether it's 3 a.m. or whatever, is incredibly stupid. And I know there's some people out there that is just been like, I've been in worse cards and dirt roads going that fast. I didn't see a problem with it. That's not the point here. It, it's it's just stupid. Like, Addison could have gotten hurt. It could have put other people on I-94 in danger. Just, mm-hmm. just like, use your common sense. And, and the other thing is, this is becoming a character concern for me because Jordan Addison has the vibe of a guy that feels like he's made it, right? He's on the Rich Eisen show. He's talking about getting a fast whip. Well, good for him. He found one. You know, he got $1 million or $2 million or whatever it is in NIL money to transfer from Pitt to USC. And I think he's been told that he's the man at a lot of spots in his life, including when Kevin O'Connell referred to him as a day one starter moments after he was drafted. Like, are are you concerned about Jordan Addison heading into training camp? Or is this, this these just things that'll just be a blip on the radar and he'll probably just figure it out? Okay, so this is a really difficult and delicate situation. So let's start here. Mm-hmm. With Jordan Addison going 140 miles an hour, it is a multi-tiered issue, okay? We can understand and acknowledge that it's awful, complete idiocy, and absolutely unacceptable. And also understand that is the 21-year-old guy who's trying to figure out how to be an adult. Chris, you and I are both in our mid-30s. We're still trying to figure out how to be adults. Yes. When we were in high school, we went 90, 100 yards in our crappy little cars. Yes. He he needs to be addressed. He needs to understand what this could have been. And you know what? I'll give him this. If he was trying to get home to a really sick dog or trying to save a sick dog, I can understand it. Mm-hmm. There needs to be a balance between grace and this guy needs to be thrown in the slammer. You have to understand that it's a level of both. And too many people are being tribalistic about this, calling it Henry Ruggs. Look, Henry Ruggs was drunk. Jordan Addison was dumb. They're, it's just it's a, a little different. You have to understand that it's a little bit different. And you also have to understand he's a young kid. He's going to learn and give him some grace. Just he's that doesn't make him a bad person. He made did something incredibly stupid. Give him the grace. Help him figure out why it was wrong if he doesn't already know that already. And let's move forward and try and make him a better man. There is no point in like calling him names or absolutely belittling him. He's a 21-year-old that screwed up. We all did. Let's move on. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, I think it's just from a football standpoint and and this is what i'm trying to come out it with is sometimes you run into like this this is our first look at kevin o'connell the talent evaluator like you can look at the tape you can see how good a guy is but then there's character concerns there's there's other things and i i don't think that jordan like you said i i don't think going 140 in a 55 means that jordan addison's a bad apple or anything but it's just a rocky start where you combine it where he didn't get a lot of reps in OTAs because he, you know, suffered an injury. I mean, he's six foot, what is it, 175 pounds coming into the league? Like, that's not an ideal thing. You have KJ Osborne, who already knows the offense. 
I think it's going to be really interesting to see how Addison adapts, how he starts to acclimate himself during training camp. And I think that this incident, you know, whether it's prudish or not, is going to put him in the crosshairs of a lot of Viking fans who go out to camp because they're going to be watching and seeing like, is this guy getting it? Because I, I think a lot of people are spurned by the whole Laquan Treadwell first round pick, which I believe was last. Uh, no, 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 no. Justin Jefferson was obviously last first round pick, but you know where I'm getting at here, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's I think people just need to calm down. It's a 21 year old kid and he's going to learn. This is where the veterans of the room need to step up, help him out and get him on the right track. You can do that. He, he's going to make mistakes. Thankfully, this is a mistake that he can learn from and nobody got hurt. Like the stretch of 94 that they talked about. I don't know how you're going 140. I don't even know how you're going 90 on that stretch, but let's just acknowledge it for what it is. An incredibly dumb mistake. And thankfully nobody was hurt. Let's move on and let's try and help him be a better person. Let's move on ourselves just to go rapid fire. Uh, The king of the North. I, I don't know if that's the title or whatever, but everybody wants to find out who's the best quarterback. Now that Aaron Rodgers is no longer in NFC And we're still kind of filling time because, like I said, nobody's really hitting each other in pads right now. Uh, Mike Tannenbaum, who I guess is an ESPN analyst now, like if you, I don't know, if you got coffee for the New York Jets or Giants or Yankees or whatever, ESPN will give you a job. um, And he used to be my boss. What's that? He used to be my boss. He used to work for the 33rd team. He was on the 33rd team. That's correct. He needed it. Oh, yes. Yeah, because he was he was the GM of the Jets under Rex Ryan when they made those AFC championship games. And then he spent two years with the Browns as I think like the president of personnel or something like that. So I wrote about this at Bring Me the News just because I was like, sure, I'll throw my hat into the ring. You have Bears fans thinking that Justin Fields, the best quarterback in the division now. You have Lions fans who are making a case for Jared Goff. Otherwise, you know, half of the Vikings fan base (laughs) thinks it's Kirk Cousins. and The other just wants to print his first ticket out of town. Entering this season, who do you think is the best quarterback in the NFC North? Look, I'm not the biggest Kirk Cousins guy in the world, but it's Kirk Cousins and it's not close right now. Jared Goff had a good season with an incredible offensive coordinator. You have to take Ben Johnson in context here. Jared Goff is a good quarterback, but he's not great without Ben Johnson. Kirk Cousins improved significantly. You can look at the stats and you can tell me counting stats that they were all down last year. Cousins looked better on the field. He looked more confident. He was making better reads. He was making like more downfield throws, trying to hit narrow windows, stuff that I had been clamoring for him to do more of in in his tenure under Mike Zimmer, but he wouldn't for whatever reason. Kevin O'Connell comes in, shapes his confidence and boom. Now you have a next level version of Kirk Cousins. How can he grow on that? Can he grow on that? Will he regress back to the mean? You still saw elements of that super conservative Kirk and the fourth and eight against the Giants to end the game is the perfect example of that. He didn't try to make a play. He did against the Bills on fourth and 18. But with the season on the line, he reverted back to TJ Hawkinson and throwing that flat route. What what are we going to get from Kirk in the 2023 season? It's his second year in a system. Finally, he's got the same play caller two years in a row for the first time as as a Minnesota Viking. That's going to make a big difference. I think Justin Fields could end up being the best quarterback in the division at the end of the year. He is not right now. And I think that's the big differentiating factor here. Fields is a guy I clamored for the Vikings to take. I was very upset when they didn't try to take him. And the 
the trade offers that they gave were putrid. They were like, oh, yeah, we'll trade up, but we want to get a good deal. No, you go get a franchise quarterback. And I thought Fields could have been that guy. I still think he can be that guy. We'll see how it plays out in Chicago because there's a lot of questions about that roster. I don't have questions about Fields. And let's be honest with ourselves. We meme Jordan Love. We meme the Packers. Love could be that guy too. He was very good in the limited samples that we've seen from him, especially when he had to play in that Eagles game this past year. He looked really good. He was making some great throws. The one start he had against Kansas City, he struggled. But he's only got one start in his first three years. Aaron Rodgers struggled his first year as a starter in 2008. In his fourth year in the league, two years later, he won a ring. So let's not discount Jordan Love as much as we like to meme it, as much as we like to make fun of the Packers. It's a very real possibility he could be the best quarterback in the division. We'll see. But right now, it's Kirk Cousins, and it's not close. By the end of the year, we could be having an entirely different conversation. I think in terms of upside, Justin Fields is number one. Like, if we were just ranking upside of NFC mm-hmm. North quarterbacks, like, we we know what Kirk Cousins is going to be. He's going to throw 4,000 yards. He's going to give you 30 touchdowns. And whatever happens in the playoffs, it, it happens. Like, you look at Jared Goff as well. Jared Goff, you know, it, it's kind of funny. I mean, you're a wrestling fan, I know. It's like the... Ben Johnson, Dan Campbell thing is a lot like the Triple H, Vince McMahon thing where everything is good. Oh, Triple H is a genius. That's great. Then if something bad happens, it's, well, probably Vince Vince changed the script. Like, that, that, that's what happened. No way ta- Triple H is thinking about this. Like, you know, Ben Johnson is there making all these legitimate offensive schemes and elaborate things. And, you know, Dan Campbell's over there watching the wave or something like, oh, man, this is awesome. The NFC North is so wide open because we can't tell what's going to happen with these quarterbacks. Like Green Bay, we're all dancing on the Packers grave, but it could just as well be like, you know, the end of a Friday, the 13th movie where Jason comes out of Camp Crystal Lake with a machete ready to Mm -hmm. chop everybody up again like it was with Aaron Rodgers. Uh, Justin Fields. I, I mean, now he's got. You know, I'm not the biggest DJ Moore fan in the world, but I mean, that's going to help instead of having Darnell Mooney as your number one target. Like all of these quarterbacks have a case for hitting another level this year. And while I think people should be aiming higher, especially in NFC that outside, you know, maybe you have Philadelphia and San Francisco as your top tier teams. I think there's another team in this conference that could break into this discussion. And why couldn't it be the Vikings? Why couldn't it be, you know, the Lions? I mean, even if if the Packers get better play out of Jordan Love, I don't know. Does that defense bounce back? Because that core is a core that went to the NFC champion. I almost call it the NFC North championship game. NFC championship game in back-to-back seasons. It's going to be really interesting to see how these quarterbacks develop this year. It's going to be very interesting. I'm fascinated to see how a lot of these nuances play out, Chris, because it's there's question marks everywhere. And the NFC is honestly really weak. You had Aaron Rodgers leave the division. Tom Brady retired. We'll see how long that lasts, but I think it's going to last. And Jalen Hurts emerged, but I'm not ready to crown him a top five quarterback yet. I want to see more consistency. He had a great year last year. MVP candidate, but we saw Cam Newton win an MVP and he never came close again. And he never was close before either. Is this a blip in the radar or is this going to be a trend? I want to see him continue to grow and continue to make strides. And the Eagles believe he's going to, but they know more than we do because they saw him in the building all three years and his growth and evolution. I want more before I crown him. And I think that's kind of where we're at with the NFC is there's just a lot of question marks. What's Trey Lance going to be? 
I think yeah. he'd be a really good quarterback. I've got a lot of shares in dynasty fantasy football with Trey Lance. And that isn't like, nobody cares about your fantasy team, but I, that tells you what kind of confidence I have in him to be a really good quarterback down the line. I think he could be really, really good. I had him as my second quarterback above Justin Fields in that 2020 draft class. I love his potential, but we'll see. We will see. That's the NFC right now is honestly a wait and see approach with a lot of different uh, trends, topics and players. The last thing I'm going to get to before we start talking about training camp is what's going on with the running backs right now, because there are a lot of running backs that are upset. They're not getting paid anymore. The Vikings, of course, or at the forefront of this by letting go of Dalvin Cook after an 1,100-yard season. Uh, the Vikings didn't want to pay him $14 million, so Austin Eckler, who also looked to get paid this offseason, invited all the top running backs to a Zoom call to have a vent session about it, and Saquon Barkley's not reporting to camp. Josh Jacobs, apparently, was spotted on a flight out of Vegas this morning. Um you're very big into analytics. And I mean, the joke that I've made on this show is that running backs should just sue the Shanahan family and PFF for defamation over the past couple of years because it's just gone in the wrong direction. Like, who do you think is in the right here? Is it the general managers who are reluctant to spend on these guys? Or is it the running backs who have these big workloads and then all of a sudden, well, we're not going to pay you because you're burnt out. There's merits to both sides. And it's inarguable that there is... uh there is a really steep decline and second contract running backs don't work out. Like you can't ignore that. You can't ignore that they're easily replaceable. There's too much data out there. What you need to do to make things better for these running backs, incentivize them, make it so they can make more money earlier on in their careers. And there is an incentive program for draft picks, not taken in round one, where if you hit certain benchmarks, where if you make a first ballot pro bowl, if you get certain snap counts, you get raises. And I think what the next step is going to be, and unfortunately for them, it's not happening for the next nine years because the CBA is locked until like 2032. But you need to give players incentives in those rookie contracts where if you rush for a thousand yards, you get like a million bucks. And maybe you don't count that towards the salary cap to try and just improve things. I think that's how you have to do it. You have to be able to attack things on the rookie contract and make things more equitable for those players. Because I don't think you're going to be able to get anything in terms of giving them a second contract. There's too much evidence against it. And does it suck for running backs? Yep, it absolutely does. But if you give them more money up front and you give them incentives in those rookie contracts, these issues with the second contracts, they're still going to be there. But they're going to be a lot less impactful because these running backs don't get driven into the ground making four and a half million dollars on a rookie contract and then get nothing the rest of their careers. Philip Lindsay. 2000 yard seasons to start yeah. his career, 5 million bucks over 10 years. So it was some kind of crazy number like that. That's what you have to fix. The guy who comes in and is a stud right away and ends up making nothing. You know, Those my first guys need to fix my first reaction to all that was the Ricky Williams contract, right? Because his contract had all sorts of incentives because I think it was what character issues coming into the league or something, but like, I, I think there are escalators throughout the contract, but that's almost what you're talking about here is that if you have those incentives, you get there. But yeah, you you hit the nail on the head. A guy like Philip Lindsay doesn't make any money. He's dumped constantly by coaching staffs because, you know, th they take the Chiefs last year, right? They take Isaiah Pacheco and now, 
Oh, Isaiah Pacheco. Oh, he's a seventh round draft pick. Oh, and then like three years later, he'd be like, hey, man, can I get a little more money? No, go to hell. Like, we're, we're done with you. Like, go, go, get away. We're going to go draft another guy out of uh, community college, and he's going to run for a thousand yards. All right, go to hell is a little strong. But, but you know what I'm saying here? Like, it's, it, it, it's a problem. It's a very big problem. And, and I think that's why, you know, some people will look at the Dalvin Cook thing and why the Vikings cut him and be like, why would they do that? He's ran for 1,100 yards. It's because not only are you evaluating your funds, you're trying to get cheaper and more efficient. And, you know, I'm not the biggest Alexander Madison fan. We'll talk about that in a second here. But I think that more teams with that Kyle Shanahan, Mike Shanahan scheme are going to continue to try and find their younger, cheaper, and more efficient running backs as we go along. Yeah, it the whole running back discussion, honestly, is just, it's poisoned by analytics people. And I don't mean that as an insult. They uh, Analytics is seeping into the fabric of the NFL, which is a good thing. You The more data you have, you want. The problem is getting there, they're so steadfast, this is the only way you can do it. You can build a team with a star running back for a short window, Look at the Giants with Saquon Barkley. Saquon was the whole reason that team was any good last year. And there are more than one ways to build a team. And it's not always going to be exactly how analytics says it should be. Now, is that necessarily is that like the best possible outcome? Is that the gives you the best range of outcomes positively? Yeah, absolutely. Like that's optimization. It's not always that simple. You can't just draft a quarterback every single year until you hit on a Hall of Famer. It's just not at like reality. It, that's where some of this discussion gets a little poisoned because you just, you have people coming from a place where they're never going to budge on their priors. And for me, I'm always trying to learn new information and challenge my priors because you know what, if I'm wrong, I'll admit it and I'll evolve my opinion. Guess what? I said, Kirk cousins needs to do X, Y, and Z. And I, I criticized him a lot this past year. I praised him a lot because he was doing a lot of those same things. You can change your opinion based on new information. Problem is there are too many people who are too ingrained in their priors and they won't change that information. And that is, that's what makes this discussion so awful to have with so many people. And I despise it. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. And like you said, it's not going anywhere because, uh, Demora Smith is basically an extension for the agents right now. And, as a long-term contract that the players basically got railed on. So I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how it plays across the league. But after all of that, let's talk about the Vikings. Let's talk about training camp. 39 Vikings reported to training camp yesterday. Uh, The Vikings listed them, which is really weird. I don't remember them doing that, but um, I I, I think that's normal. That's normal. I, I, I believe it's normal. I I just maybe I just missed the email, but um, good for Harrison Th- Phillips. He showed up right away. Like mm-hmm. I don't know. Coming there, up there next, are some veterans who show up right away. I think captains. A lot of them like to show up with the rookies because it's a leadership thing. Right. First man in, last man man out mentality. Quarterbacks always. It's like pitchers and catchers. Quarterbacks always report with the rookies because it's quarterback. Right. They they need somebody to give them the ball basically. Mm-hmm. Like without a quarterback, what are you going to do? Um, dog. You're going to pet the dog. Pet the dog. <laughs> um, what is the biggest storyline for you heading into training camp? Because where last year I felt kind of bored throughout camp this year, you know, you, you have a lot of the veterans gone. You're looking for things to watch. If you're going to Egan, 
What is the one thing that you're trying to kind of spot out here? Cornerback. How is that room going to shape out? And it's very interesting because there's a lot of talent, but it's all laden with question marks. Byron Murphy Jr. Can he stay healthy? Andrew Booth Jr. and Caleb Evans. Both of them, can they stay healthy? And Andrew Booth has some performance questions. Evans was pretty decent in the 100 plus snaps he was on the field last year. Booth looked lost, but I think the switch to a more man coverage heavy scheme is going to help him a lot. Makai Blackman, man heavy cover corner. He's going to fit right in. How is he going to perform as a rookie? He's 24 years old and he has a lot of college experience. How is that going to translate? Joan Williams, fifth year guy, 6'3", 215, four years in this system, missed all last year with a shoulder injury. Can he stay healthy? What is his long-term prognosis in the NFL? Like, There's so many question marks with this group. You have a guy like Tay Gowan, who's got a lot of talent. He was a seventh round pick in 2020. I thought he should have gone higher in that draft. I thought he was more of like a fourth or fifth round guy, maybe even singing the end of the third. He fell to the seventh. I think he's got ability too. How is this room going to shape out? And how is Brian Flores going to maximize these guys? That to me is the biggest storyline. The player I'm most intrigued to watch is Ed Ingram though. I want to see how he's improved. He overset a lot. So oversetting, you overcommit to one side coming out of your stance. So a lot of times he would come out of his stance and he'd uh, put too much visible momentum to the right. And then you get beat to the inside. Javon Kinlaw got a sack in the first, in that preseason game against the 49ers that way. And he continued to lose. But once he engaged with you, you were done because he was so strong. He had a great anchor and he had incredible grip strength in his hands. How is all that going to translate? And how is his really poor year last year? 63 pressures, most in the allowed in the NFL, but he was able to work through those mistakes. Peyton Manning threw an NFL record interceptions his first year, came back the second year, 13 and three, a 10 game turnaround. Now I'm not saying Ed Ingram is going to be a hall of famer like Peyton Manning, but the general concept of letting them play through mistakes is identical. And I'm very intrigued to see how that's going to work out for Ed Ingram. You know, it's funny when you think about it, you know, in the past five or six years, maybe in the past decade, like offensive line has been such a talker in the offseason and and it's been quiet. It's been too quiet. And I think you are absolutely right when you say Ed Ingram is going to be one of the most intriguing players on the field because if he doesn't take that leap, like this Mm -hmm. offensive line is going to be a problem again, you're going to have a big hole in the middle of the line. You know, I I think that if Ingram can improve and he did at the end of last year, I think, um, I think I looked this up. I think it was like three of his last four games. He had a PFF pass blocking grade over 70. And I, I mean, he got better as the year goes along. If he can improve and it sounds like a lot of the things that mistakes that he's made are just like, technique so if he can correct those take a step forward this offensive line could be really good because there's a lot of high draft capital in it you know you could see Garrett Bradbury maybe even be better not like an all pro or pro bowler but just serviceable in the middle that's something the Vikings haven't had in a long time I look at this entire defense and that's been a theme throughout the offseason so it's not really original but I think that outside of you know your usuals Daniel Hunter Harrison Smith Byron Murphy Harrison Phillips like those guys their spots are safe right what the hell happens with the rest of the defense you mentioned cornerback safety is going to be interesting can Lewis seen take a step forward didn't happen during OTAs can he show us something what is the plan with Josh Metellus they're talking about moving him all over the place it's kind of a joker role and then you know is Harrison Smith at the end of the line or was he just used incorrectly last year 
uh, linebacker. Jordan Hicks had a very bad year. You know, I want to see what Ivan Pace Jr. can do because he had great PFF grades. He's very fast, but he's also small. Does he start on special teams? Does he kind of work the Anthony Harris route to be a player in Brian Flores' system? Like this defense is going to be very interesting and very much of a contrast from Ed Donatel's system that got Daniel Jones paid last year. And it wasn't necessarily the system. Ed Donatel just stinked at implementing it. The system's good. There's a reason why 10 teams are using it. Ed Donatel stinked at how he implemented it. He did like a lot of Fangio stuff does cover three. They they don't just do quarter, quarter, half quarters and cover two. They do a lot of different things, but it does require your pass rush to get home. And there was no adjustments. Like you can want to run a Fangio stuff, but you realize, hey, they're just getting smoked with slants on off coverage. Let's maybe do some press. We didn't see that. And to me, that was the most frustrating part. Flores is going to adjust. And like he said in his opening press conference, he was asked straight up, is this going to be a 3-4? He's like, well, who are we playing? Standard is going to be a 3-4 base, but it's going to fluctuate depending on who we're playing. And I think that's where a guy like Marcus Davenport really comes into play because the Saints are a 4-3 base, but they do a lot of 3-4 stuff, a lot of like 2-4-5 and all kinds of unique looks. So I'm very intrigued to kind of see what Flores does. And I think that is going to be absolutely massive when it comes to talking about what what things are going to look like. And Flores is going to get this uh, this team looking right. And if they are able to do that, I think they're they're easily. I mean, they should be. I, I know Vegas says the Lions are the NFC North favorites, and that might change after Chauncey Gardner Johnson was taken off on a cart this morning uh, or Chauncey Johnson guard. Did I, did I botch that? Chauncey Gardner Johnson. He yeah, is day to yeah. day. They avoided major injury somehow. Yeah. Which I don't know. It, Adam put it on Twitter and said, this is the football God striking down the Detroit lions. I, I don't know. Like just sidebar. Do you, do you think the lions are a big threat or what do you think of the lions coming into the year? They're absolutely a big threat. And I, you can meme the lions. You can be like, Hey, they need to prove it. Well, yeah, of course they need to prove it. Every team needs to prove it every single year. Here's the thing with these lines. Dan Campbell's legit. He he struggled when he was the interim coach of Miami, but that was a disaster class of an organization. Sean Payton calls him up and be like, hey, I want you to come work for me. I'll show you how to be a head coach. And he did. He worked for Sean Payton, one of the best in the league. He goes to Detroit. You know what he does? He He's a meme in his opening press conference. He's like, we're, we're going to get up. We're going to bite your kneecaps. His The whole thing was his mentality is we're going to fight. You're going to have to bury us. We are not going to give up. We're going to give everything we have every single play. And you know what? They were they controlled the game in Los Angeles against a Super Bowl champion Rams the entire way before losing that game. They fought. They scratched. They clawed. They were a good football team who happened to only win three games. That was an effort-based team. Now they're starting to get an influx of talent. When you pair top end effort with an influx of talent, that's when stuff happens. That's when you take things to the next level. And this team is ready to make that jump. Will they make it? How high will they go? I genuinely don't know. But Dan Campbell and Brad Holmes have this team on the precipice of doing something. And I'm fascinated to see what that is. Look, we're Vikings fans. We cover the team. You can't deny that this Lions team is ready to achieve something. It's all there. Now they just have to do it. And I'll be honest, that's the hardest part, doing it. 
but they got all the pieces. Let's see what happens. We've seen the Vikings in this situation too, where yeah. they, they built up, built up, built up. And I mean, the Zimmer years, right? 2018, everything is there. This team can achieve something. Oh, there's John Filippo. Oh, Kirk Cousins needs a perfect offense. Oh, 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 but, oh, but, oh, but. Like the Lions are right there too when you look at it. And I mean, you know, when I look at this Vikings team coming into the season, like it's not a, like I said it, they could be one of the best teams in the NFC. They, by the end of the year, you could look at the Vikings and be like, they're, they're right there with the Niners and Eagles. Maybe some players step up. Maybe they found some gems in, uh, Marcus Davenport and Byron Murphy in free agency. And maybe Kevin O'Connell has those guys playing their best football at the end of the year. That's within the range of outcomes. There's also a range of outcomes where some of these players don't live up to the hype. And I'm looking at the running back position. We just talked about running backs, not getting paid and all of those things. But Alex Madison is the starter. Um, some people are throwing down bets in Vegas for him to lead the league in rushing and get 275 carries. Um, I wouldn't do that, but to each their own, uh, Ty Chandler had a great preseason a year ago, but he didn't do much after that. And then Kane Wangwu, you know, he's got his own battle. It's like him against the running back position because he couldn't crack the starting lineup at Iowa state because he was behind Brees Hall and David Montgomery. He hasn't done much as a running back now. And with these new kickoff rules, you have to have versatility and be more than just a kick returner because you don't want to burn the roster spot. And then, of course, we have Dwayne McBride out there who has great college tape. Super fun player to watch. Um, your colleague, Thor Nystrom, over at Score North, who you do the Purple On Demand podcast with, uh, actually said after he was drafted, he's like the Terminator where he's not dead until the red goes out of his eyes. But can he, can he match up to the gold standard of the running back position? Isaiah Pacheco. Oh, <laughs> there he is. Oh, like. What do you think about this running back position going into camp? Are, are you asking me about the Lions running backs or about the Vikings? Vikings. Sorry. That was, that was a bad trend. I, I, I got on the Lions. No, now we're back to the Vikings. Very intriguing. Yeah. Uh, the Lions, obviously, for different reasons than the Vikings. I want to watch this running back two battle because it's going to be fascinating. They gave uh, Kenny Wongwu snaps on the second team. And I don't. Uh, so I'm not taking minicamp very seriously. But here's why. Minicamp's a, a place where you can try things and see if it'll work. And then training camp is when you do all your install. How much of a run is he going to get a running back to in training camp? That's what I want to know. Wang Wu struggles with vision, with making decisions in the hole, pass blocking, footwork, all that stuff. So basically not, everything right. a running back needs to do. He was a project as a running back coming out. And being a project as a running back, because you can see my my sweet rescue dog in my lap. Um being a project, like he was behind Brees Hall. He had less than 500 total carries in, at Iowa State over four years. Like, is he ever going to figure it out? That, like, that's a real question. It, you can be a great returner and not a great running back. Like, that, that's a thing. It's a different type of vision. It's not quick vision where you're bursting through the hole. You catch the ball. Nobody's within 35 yards of you. And that's how you, like, maintain your discipline with your with your path. It's it's a a big difference. And can he figure that out? I think Ty Chandler's going to end up with the job. I think he might be running back one when this is all said and done. Chandler has everything. He he can play on all all four. Oh, uh, sorry, all three downs. And because he can play on all three downs, that's going to make a massive, massive difference because pass blocking gets you on the field, so you can do the rest of it. And he's a great pass blocker. How is that going to impact him? 
I'm not really sure because uh, Dwayne McBride's a wild card at pass blocking, but I I think Chandler's also the best runner of him and Wangu. I don't know if he's better than Dwayne McBride. I loved McBride at UAB. He basically ran like he was in a car wreck every single play. Just awesome. And there's a lot of intrigue with how that's going to develop. I think Madison might not end up end the season as running back one because there's a lot of talent behind him and how everything shapes up. I, 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 I kind of talking in circles a little bit yeah. because I don't know. I'm very high on Ty Chandler. Very high. Not very high on Wong Wu. I'm inconclusive on McBride, but there is talent. There's a lot of it. And we're going to see how it shapes up, but it's going to be a committee approach. So you may not see the same guys getting the same amount of touches week after week. You know, it's funny. It's like Madison's the incumbent. A lot of people think he's going to be the guy that takes over for Dalvin Cook. And yet, you know, you talk to Vikings fans and you're like, well, he's fine. He's he's OK. But like everybody, be the, I, I think that's what people don't see. Like people see Dalvin Cook in 1100 yards and four straight Pro Bowls. And he was on my fantasy team and he was great for my fantasy team when nobody cares about your fantasy team, like we said. But at the same time, you look at Dwayne McBride, you look at Ty Chandler and you go, those guys are good. Like there's something here. And maybe those guys just turn out to be your run of the mill committee running back type approach that, you know, Kevin O'Connell's mentor, Sean McVay used in Los Angeles. Like they took Cam Akers in the second round, but they've used a whole bunch of guys. They took Zach Evans, uh, the Former TC, he was at Ole Miss, I think, when he ended his career. But he was a five-star prospect at TCU coming in. Like, they have talent, too. It's not necessarily household, I'm taking this guy round one in my fantasy league type talent. But it's talent. And I think that's what Kevin O'Connell was saying. Hey, if we get some talent here, if we can get some efficiency on first down, get, you know, four or five yards instead of zero or one, which Dalvin Cook did so often. I can open up this playbook. I can do the things I want and we can make this offense even better. Yeah, we really can. And there's so many intricacies with how O'Connell's going to handle this that we just don't know because he hasn't been put in a situation where he's been able to answer any of these questions. And year two, we're going to see a lot about how O'Connell's going to handle it. Um, You mentioned Zach Evans. Evans, five-star guy. I thought he stunk last year at Ole Miss. I didn't think he was any good. And especially as a pass catcher, you can't do it. Um, and it, that's where like some of that like pedigree matters to a certain extent. It's going to give you more chances, but I'd rather have Ty Chandler than Zach Evans. And Chandler took him five years to break out in college because he was buried at Tennessee. Like it just running back is just such an interesting position. It is. And I, I think it's one that, you know, it is important in O'Connell's offense, even though it's not Mike Zimmer run the ball no matter what. But it also gives us a segue into our next conversation, which is the under the radar player. Now, you mentioned a couple. I've mentioned a couple as well. Ivan mm-hmm. Pace is one of the guys that I'm watching. Um, Andre Carter, who at one point was a first round prospect, then he bombed the combine, didn't have a productive junior season at army, you know, who are some of the under the radar players that you're excited to see as they head to Egan? Oh, that, that's a really good question. Um, you can look at, I have an article on Vikings wire, uh, talking about, um, underrated under the radar guys, five on offense, five on defense. All you gotta do is go search the website. And then I also am releasing one. By the time you're listening to this, it will have dropped. 
seven players you need to have a really good training camp. Um, for me, the biggest one that could surprise is Kairos Tonga. And he got 10 pressures on 151 pass rush snaps as a nose tackle playing on the outside. So he was like four eye or five technique lining up basically over the tackle. And being able to get that kind of pressure from the outside is huge. Once he gets back to his natural position where that quickness can really beat centers and guards off the line of scrimmage easier than a tackle, I think it's going to be a massive, massive thing for Tonga going inside. And unless you're an absolute freak athletically, Jordan Davis, Mozzie Smith, back in the day, Casey Hampton was that guy. And he ended up having like a 15-year career with the Steelers. And he was very good. Nose tackles get devalued. They're underappreciated. But when you have a good one, it's a massive difference for your team, especially when you're running a 3-4. And I think having Tonga in that spot where Harrison Phillips kicks more to the outside, where he's a better fit in a 3-4 anyways, because he's only 307 pounds. I think that's where you're going to really see some waves made. And I'm very, very, very intrigued to see what he's able to do. How settled on offense are you? Because it feels like everything's kind of locked in. Like maybe the one surprise that we kind of talked about earlier is that maybe Addison gets off to a slower start. But I th- I think all those positions are interchangeable. Is there any position on offense that you're kind of worried about coming into camp? Or are you, or do you feel good about this group? <sighs> Interior offensive line, I think is the only real worry. Um, I, I, I have worries that we're not going to get wide receiver to quality play out of the wide receiver to spot this year, considering Jordan Addison's a rookie and KJ Osborne has been inconsistent in that role. But I'm very intrigued by Josh Oliver. I think he could be a fringe tight end one by the end of the year. Comes out of San Jose's eight in 2019 as a pass catching weapon, being able to vertically dominate up the seams and then gets traded after two years that were injury filled in Jacksonville and Baltimore just makes him a really good blocking tight end. Tight end is incredibly hard to uh, translate from college to the NFL because one, you're asked to catch the football like a wide receiver and two, you're asked to block like an offensive lineman. Those two workout plans kind of contradict each other. It's a very tough position. And being that he can now do both, how is that going to be able to unlock this team? And is he going to get like bad linebackers up against him where he's going to be able to take them over the top in 12 personnel? I'm fascinated to see how that works. But it's the interior of the offensive line that's got the most questions because Ezra Cleveland had 55 pressures allowed last year. Garrett Bradbury got injured and he was better, but he still has never lived up to the hype of being a first-round pick. And Ed Ingram, we talked about him earlier. Like The tackles are set, finally. We feel great about our tackles. The interior still has questions, but I think the continuity is going to help. Are you worried about any of the contract situations coming in? Because you mentioned Josh Oliver. That was a big spend in free agency. They're still working on a deal with TJ Hawkinson. Justin Jefferson's still unsigned. I think those two guys show up to camp. But the big kind of elephant in the room is Daniil Hunter right now. What do you think with all these contract situations kind of looming in the air? You think any of them get done? Do you think we see a hold out, a hold in, um, something else we haven't thought of yet with this CBA thing? Like what, what's going to happen with these contracts? I think one's going to get done really fast. I, I think get on to being Daniel Hunter. He'll get, he's going to get more money this year. I don't know how they do that. Are they going to just give him a roster bonus? Are they going to extend him? I don't know what that's going to look like, but I think they're going to get something done with him. Also, wouldn't be shocked to see TJ Hawkinson get a deal. Look, Justin Jefferson's arguably the most important to get under a contract extension. The difference is you have a lot more time with him than you do with both Daniil Hunter and TJ Hawkinson. You have an extra year before he hits free agency. He won't technically hit free agency until 2025 or Hawkinson and Hunter 2024. I think those two get done first. 
not because they're more important or better than Jefferson. It's a more pressing issue than Jefferson. And it's a gamble to do that because Jefferson could easily make like a couple million dollars more per season by balling out again. That that means something. And I think, too, it's easier to get the Hawkinson and Hunter deals done because, you know, it's almost like poker, right? You got more of the flop out there. You have more like I think with Jefferson, everybody's kind of waiting on him to sign, but he might be waiting too to be like, okay, what's CD lamb getting? Okay. He got, let's just put this very simple. Like he got CD lamb got 20 bucks. I I want $20 and 20 cents or something like that. You know what I mean? Like he just wants a little bit more. And I think that's kind of what the holdup is there where you can look at Evan Ingram's deal with the Jaguars and be like TJ Hawkinson, let's do that deal, but just a little bit more Daniel Hunter. Okay, let's let's do, you know, abbreviated version of the Bradley Chubb deal, but you're going to get more money like those things. I think they can go to the negotiating table with a good idea where they, they just don't know about Jefferson right now. Obviously, you run the risk of injury. And, you know, what if you piss Jefferson off this year with a bad year? Mm-hmm. All of those things could happen. Um I think it's one of the biggest off the field storylines, but I think overall we're in for a pretty entertaining training camp. Um, My last question for you when it comes to camp, who is your way too early pick for Mr. Mankato? Malik Knowles, wide receiver, Kansas state UDFA. Look, this guy would have been a mid round pick if he would have been able to test, but he hurt his PCL at the end of the year, played the game against Alabama, then had it cleaned up. And He has a lot of talent. He's raw as a receiver, but he's got incredible special teams utility. And I think if you get him running some go routes and he's a return specialist too, which is another reason why I think Kenny Wongwu could potentially be on the chopping block. Look, he's a second team all pro return guy, but if you don't offer anything on offense at year three and you have a guy like Knowles, who's a really good returner, I think he had six returns for touchdowns in college. You'll have to check me on that number, but it was high. Like you can replace him. And I think Knowles has potential as a good wide receiver down the line. He needs some time, but I like him a lot. And your Mr. Mankato is an unheralded guy. That's why Adam Thielen won it. That's why you've seen guys of that ilk win. And I think he could be the next one. In my first uh, 53 man roster projection, I had him making the team. I really think he can that fourth and fifth wide receiver spot. And if they keep a sixth, they're up for grabs. And he is just as uh, qualified to win as anybody else. Three return touchdowns. Okay. So five seasons at K state. Yeah. So that's what it looks like there. He also had four rushing touchdowns uh, in his looks like forces. So he, he didn't have a rushing attempt in 2018. He was just a kick returner, but um, that is an interesting one as well. I, you know, I think he's got an inside track just because he plays receiver, which is one of the more noticeable positions during games. Like you'll notice a wide receiver where it's like harder to, you know, notice a guard breaking out in the middle of the offensive line. I would say Josh Metellus if he were eligible, because we don't know what's going to happen there. But I would also call him established since he had an interception mm-hmm. to steal the Detroit game, had a couple of punt blocks. Uh, Jaron Hall. I think has a very nice track, especially if he, why don't you talk about Jaron Hall a little bit? Because I know he's your guy and Mm. I haven't asked that yet, but he's going to be pretty interesting. Watch his preseason, isn't he? Oh yes, he is my friend. Uh, Let me say this about Metellus. I'm not convinced he makes the roster because you just drafted Jay Ward around four. You have Lewis seen like, unless you're keeping five safeties, Metellus could easily be on the bubble 
And that's something to consider. So, so is this... Let me ask you this. So is Metellus getting moved around in OTAs? Is that like the Kane Wangwu of the defense? Like, hey, we want you to do more than just play special teams because we don't want five safeties on our roster. I think having him in those mini camps was about trying to see if you could get more utility out of him. And I want to see it in camp. I'm not I'm not buying into Metellus is going to be the guy until I see more. Like to me, it doesn't pass the smell test. Uh, it very well could, but I, I'm just not convinced as of right now. Um, but yeah, let's talk about Jaron Hall. Let, before I get super over the top and hopium, I, we need to preface this. He's a fifth round quarterback who's more than likely not going to do anything in the NFL. All right, let's set that expectation. Now let me get you too excited about him because it, there are reasons why he could be great in the NFL. He's got an NFL caliber arm. He's a really good athlete, former baseball player. He can make throws on the run. He can make throws um, from multiple platforms and he can do a lot of things. He's run a offense incredibly similar to what Kevin O'Connell runs. The only difference is he ran it out of more spread concepts than more traditional concepts that you're going to see in the NFL. So basically just how the formation played out, but the, the shot plays, the route combinations, a lot of them are incredibly similar. He understands how to read a defense. He, he makes mistakes. There's a reason why he was taken around five. Uh, he doesn't always see like a dropping linebacker, especially one that's like on the line of scrimmage, fake like faking a blitz. And yeah, he's made some poor throws, but he can make tight window throws. Best deep ball thrower in the class. He can drop it in a bucket. You put one of those five like five dollar Homer buckets from Home Depot fifty yards away. I'm betting my life that Jaron Hall hits it first. Like that's the kind of deep ball accuracy he's got. I and he's mature. Like yeah, he's 25 years old but I consider him a 23 year old in football years because two of those years were spent on a Mormon mission. And because he was on a Mormon mission, he's not getting hit. He's not aging his body uh, in a football sense. So he's younger than 25 as far as that element and that kind of maturity. He's married. He has a kid. Um, I talked to him at the senior bowl, incredibly nice person. I'm really excited to see what he can do, but he's also a fifth round pick. So we got to temper those expectations. But situation matters with quarterbacks. Brock Purdy is only Brock Purdy with Kyle Shanahan in that situation. Jaron Hall ended up in his perfect situation. We'll see if he's able to capitalize on it. I believe he can, but it's still a big if. So we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I'm not penciling Jaron Hall in as the future of the Vikings quarterback position by any means, but this is the developmental prospect that they haven't had in a long time. It's been your Nate Stanley's and your uh, Sean Mannion's and your Nick Mullins or whatever. I think, you know, if Vikings fans are looking for something a little more interesting at the end of preseason games, I think Jaron Hall is going to provide just that. Um, Like I mentioned earlier, Ivan Pace. Another guy that I'm looking at that could be Mr. Mankato, Andre Carter. I, I think a lot of it's just because of the pedigree and kind of having those names stuck in their head, which is always kind of a prerequisite to be mentioned for Mr. Mankato. And then you have Makai Blackman, who we talked about the cornerback position a little bit, and I think that's going to be wide open as well. Um, let's close things out here, Tyler. Um, what do you got going on at the Vikings wire, the real Forno show and uh purple draft on demand, a new show that you've been uh, filling in on lately. Yeah. Purple daily on draft on the purple daily podcast feed and YouTube channel. It's myself, Thor Nystrom, um, formerly of NBC sports edge. Now fantasy pros and betting pros. We talk about the Vikings from a more draft centric perspective and 
talking about young players and making that our focus because our a lot of our expertise is in the NFL draft. And I'm I want to I've always wanted to do a draft centric show surrounding the Vikings, and this is exactly that. I'm really excited about it. Nobody covers the draft um, from a Vikings perspective like I do. And this is another platform to do that with uh, the real Forno show every Monday and Wednesday night, 6 p.m. Central Time. Um, you can also catch it on demand. Vikings First and Skull is the YouTube channel. We branched out from climbing the pocket back in March. We almost have 800 subscribers already and we are growing. We are also going to start introducing writers as well. And we're going to have written content on that side. It's going to, it's a fun project. And all my written work is still at Vikings Wire. Uh, I've got a lot of stuff coming up. We're finishing up our prayer. Pl- player profile series where we profiled every single player on the Vikings roster. After today, the only two left are Christian Derrisson and Justin Jefferson, which will probably be the funnest two to write. I actually had a lot of fun writing the Kirk Cousins one yesterday. I believe that one's already out. Um, very fair and level-headed analysis. I'm I'm not a guy who searches for clicks and tries to be hyperbolic. I, I am 100% honest. Um, and yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at the Real Forno. I'm also writing for College Football Network, so I'll be doing college betting stuff again this year. This is going to be a very fun season, Chris. I'm really excited to see how Kevin O'Connell and Quasio Pimenta grow from last year's massive success. And where can people send you their angry Kirk Cousins takes on Twitter? Or, oh, Forno. sorry, X. It's it's X now. Uh, at the Real Forno. Um, I'm also on Threads and Blue Sky. Uh, Threads is 4008 because somebody took it and I emailed them and haven't gotten a response back. So I'm probably never getting it. And then also Blue Sky is the real 4008. Uh, 4008 at gmail.com. Send me any critique or question you have. I'm yeah, I'm pretty much an open book. You know what I wanted my handle to be when I first jumped on Twitter? What? I, started to, I wanted to be Purple Kool-Aid. Oh, that's tremendous. Somebody already had it and they, like you, they weren't using it. So I was like, hey, man, what's up? Uh, this be really cool, and they never got back to me. So, so good luck with that, I guess. But I mean, all those things you need a wolf, like you know, you just what was in the office, like Ryan's idea, where it just sent it to everything. Like that's what we yeah. need. We need wolf now. Um, but Tyler, thank you for coming on. This has been the Viking Age podcast, the official podcast of the VikingAge.com. We do this every Monday and Thursday right here at 6.15 p.m. Central Time on the Viking Age YouTube channel. But if you miss us, we're in podcast form the very next day. But like, comment, share, and subscribe so you never miss a new episode. For Tyler Fornis, I am Chris Shad. We'll talk to you Thursday on the Viking Age podcast. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.